We'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to be looking at wisdom from above. We are told in Scripture, urged in Scripture, to seek and pursue wisdom. There's this entire genre of literature in our Scriptures called wisdom literature. Stuff like Proverbs, some of the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, even Job. And what it is, is we're learning from life. People have learned about life. Faithful people have dealt with life for a long time, and they've left records of here's how to wisely deal with life, and it's called wisdom literature. And we're even shown this kind of uh, uh, this debate going on every time you've got a decision to make. You've got Lady Wisdom, Proverbs 9, Lady Wisdom calling out saying, please use me. Lady Wisdom trying to get you wisdom. And then there's Lady Folly on the other side saying, you know, we kind of do like angel demon on our shoulders. It's Lady Wisdom saying, please use me, and Lady Folly saying, follow me, and you're going to follow one or the other in every decision you make. That's what Scripture kind of shows. The siren song. Which one do you, which one do you actually submit to? The hard thing about it is that there's different kinds of wisdom, and James describes this in James chapter 3. He offers this challenge, and then he offers a test, and here's the challenge right here. Who is wise in understanding among you, James says. I have a feeling he was talking to a group of people, much like the Corinthians, who really thought they had wisdom. We're wise people. And James was just trying to get them to pause and think about it again. Who is wise in understanding among you? If he asked that at Valley View, who would raise their hand? Let me ask the question. Who among y'all is wise in understanding? Anybody going to raise their hand? Who's going to have the audacity to say, hey, James, that's me. Hey, it's me. I'm wise. No one's going to say that's kind of like when Paul says, uh, when someone is drifting away, you who are spiritual should restore him. Who do you think they think they are, right? Am I? Oh, well, you're talking to me. You're talking to me because I'm spiritual. Who are these people? Well, in case there were, and I think in James' day, there would be a lot of them say, well, that's me. Thank you very much, right? But here's the thing. He doesn't pose the question as if to leave it up to us. He then provides a test. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you really have wisdom, you will also be meek. That's what James says. You want to know the people who are wise? They're not going to be the ones holding their hands saying, <clears throat> that's me. That's not going to be them. And in fact, they're not going to tell you of their wisdom. They're going to model that wisdom in their humility among you. Your life as a wise person is to radiate that wisdom, not to claim it, not to boast about it. And then he goes on to say there's two kinds of wisdom, right? If, if your wisdom leads to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you know it's about me, shine the light on me, focus on me, focus on me. Do not boast and fa be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So there's a wisdom that's from above, and that's what we want. Not just any wisdom. There's also a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. There's many people in the world who really do, who really are wise people, but not in God's definition. There's a wisdom from above, and there's a wisdom from below, earthly wisdom. And what we're to claim is not just to be wise, we're to be wise with wisdom 
from above. The best way to access what that looks like, it seems to me, is to look at Solomon. We started this a couple weeks ago, and here he is, chapter 3. He's asked, God came to him like a genie in a lamp and says, ask me for anything and I'm going to give it to you. And what, what he asks for is wisdom, and, I'm, and, I, and God says, I'm going to give it to you. And we see in verse chapters 3 and 4 that God immediately, abundantly blesses Solomon with it. And I would agree, wouldn't you, that if God blessed him with wisdom, it's the wisdom from above that he blessed him with, Right? Not just any wisdom. He's the great example. What I like in chapter 3, verse 9, is this word that describes this. Give your servant, this is Solomon and his request, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. If you take this literally from the Hebrew, it means this, oh, a heart to hear. Give me a heart to hear, or give me a heart with a skill to listen. And then he goes on to say, also in verse 9, give your servant therefore a heart that will listen and then governs your people and I can discern between the good and the evil so I can govern them. What he's saying is this is the kind of wisdom I'm looking for. I'm willing to listen to whatever it is that's in front of me and then I can take it in and discern from what I hear and what I know the good from the bad and the best from the good. That's the kind of wisdom Solomon wants. What a great request. And that's what we seek to have. What follows after this kind of reveals this nature of this wisdom. And notice in the rest of chapter 3, the first test case, it's almost like the first illustration that we're given is when two prostitutes come fighting over one child. You know this story. It's a strange thing. Why would the prime, first, great illustration of the tremendous wisdom of Solomon concern two prostitutes fighting over a baby? Would that be your exhibit A? A wise heart is concerned about impartial justice even for the poor. That's the first story. Solomon's wisdom was a benefit to everyone. It's to benefit everybody, especially the people no one else would pay any attention to. Two prostitutes fighting over a baby. Who cares? God cares. And the wisdom God gives us gives us the ability to be out looking for the good for the poor that reflects the heart of God. Be willing and to be listen and to care about the needs of all people. There's a second thing if you look at chapter 4. There's just a lot of weird names in chapter 4. Most of these names don't mean anything to you. The, he starts organizing the government. He just decides, I'm going to organize how Israel and Judah is run. He puts all these people in places of power and position. and Basically, it's his cabinet that he's building. And what's interesting about this, he's wise enough to select the right people for the right work around him to help. Part of wisdom's function is to decide, who should I have closest to me? Who should I have with me? The greatest, wisest politicians are the ones who know there's certain areas in their lives that are weak and not very strong, and so they surround themselves 
with people who are strong in their areas of weakness. Who do you surround your with, yourself with? It's interesting in the Proverbs when there's so much advice about who you should have giving you advice. There's so many things about who you should listen to, who you let be your friends. And I would say to young people especially, one of the most important things for you as you go through life is in every stage of life, select the right people to be around you. Be very careful because you are responsible for what influence others have on you. And you say, well, it's them. They're gonna, that's my friend doing that, not me. Oh, no, listen, you are going to be impacted by the people who are closest to you, and you are responsible for who you let be there. That's what the Proverbs would say to us. And so Solomon gathers around the right people in the right places. Third, Chapter 4, verse 20. Judah and Israel, both of them, they've often been at odds with each other. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. Promise to Abraham has been fulfilled, right? Because those are the exact words given to Abraham. They ate and drank and were content. Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the Euphrates, the land of the Philistines, to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute, served Solomon all the days of his life. He has a wisdom that seeks the good and the contentment of all people. Not just the tribe he's from, not just those who have supported him and his family over the years. He's concerned for everybody. Now look at verse 29. I'm going to close out chapter 4 with this. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. There's the sand again. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east, all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all the other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. I don't know how impressive that was, but apparently it was impressive. He got his name in the Bible, right? of Heman, of Calcol, of Darda. He was smarter than Darda. How many in here think you're smarter than Darda? Have no idea. But I guess it means something. He put it in there. And he's got all these other names in here. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. We have the Song of Solomon. That's one of them. But he has 1,004 others. He spoke of trees. Spoke of trees. He did lectures on trees. Wouldn't that be stimulating to get to the root of that? <laughs> okay, so I just say, quit barking at me. <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon and the hyssop that grows out of, of the wall. He spoke of beasts, of birds. Like to hear that speech? Birds? Sounds foul to me. Reptiles. Reptiles. Yeah, this is getting bad. And of fish. He could have told us today. Which is better, pond or river caught, right? He knows all about fish. This guy knew everything, biology, herpetology, all that stuff, right? And the people, all the nations, all the nations, this is big, all the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. You remember one famous lady coming, right? We'll get that later on. Hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who'd heard of his wisdom. Everybody on earth heard about this man and came to hear. His wisdom was impressive. But remember what it's for. I want to share with you, um, as we kind of wrap this up, about the wisdom of Solomon with a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 4. 
See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you were entering to take possession of it. This is before they enter the promised land. And now, of course, Solomon is in it. Keep them, do them, for that will be your wisdom. That will be your understanding in the sight of the peoples, the people of the land, the people and the nations around, who, when they hear of these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Do you get what he's saying? I want you to trust my word, and I want you to do it. And when you do what I tell you, it will be wisdom, and the world will watch it and marvel, and they will conclude there's something beyond just these people being smart. These people serve a God who's revealed to them what is the best. And they're living it, and now we want to learn about this God from them. This is the, this is the actual progress. Notice the, ne- notice the next one. God provides the wisdom. This is God's plan. God provides this great wisdom. He reveals it in his word. Where does the content of Scripture come from? So recall this morning. Where does it come from? Our God. He reveals to us the best way to, lo- to live. That's not always obvious. It's not always obvious the best way to live. Staying true to one spouse for life, apparently in our world, is not an obvious truth. But it's one that we espouse with all our hearts because we have a God who told us this. He said, from the beginning, it's supposed to be this way. This is the way you honor your creator because I designed you for this. And when the world goes haywire, we stay with what he says. That's wisdom. Okay, the people of the world see the wisdom as it works out. God's people submit to this. They do what God tells them to, even when, maybe especially when, they don't understand why it's a big deal. And it shows the wisdom of God. What's the next move? The world then sees the fruit of that. The order, the peace, the structure, the law and order, the respect for human life, all that is seen as the world watches us and they go, you know, uh, these Christians, these people, these people of God, there's no way they figured this out on their own. So what did they conclude from that? Next step, the world attributes that to God. God wants his wisdom to be known through us and to draw the world to himself by how we live it before our fellow man. We're not just being wise to be impressive. We're being wise to be evangelistic, to show the God that we serve. God ends up being glorified and marveled at because of the conclusion that there's no way they could have known otherwise. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. To me, though I am the least of, very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is, what is uh, wow, Wow, that's small. 
what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He wants us to model for the world what wisdom looks like. And that's why we live different. And this is why obedience is so important. Now, here's a word from Isaiah. Man, I'm just throwing the kitchen sink in here. My thoughts, this is God speaking. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God doesn't think like we think. Have you figured this out yet? And if you, he, he repeats this. And my ways aren't your ways, declares the Lord. Let me, let me clarify how our thoughts and ways are different. As the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, my ways are higher than yours. God knows better than we do. Is that true? (laughs) We don't think the same way God says. Our desires and our goals aren't the same. And in fact, he backs up and he says, in fact, let me tell you, mine are a lot better than yours. And everything that you think with every fiber of your being that you naturally think this makes sense to me, doubt it. Doubt it because my ways are higher. And the only way you can access my ways is through my word, God says. That's the only way. And what you know then, if that's true, if it's true, that God's ways are higher than ours, and we read in Scripture what God's ways are, we are going to oftentimes be at odds with them. Does that make sense? We're going to often think vastly different than God. God, I wouldn't do it that way. God, I don't think like that. That doesn't make sense to me. That's going to happen a million times as you read Scripture, even as a devoted Christian. And the question becomes, when that happens, which way are you going to go? If you want to live the higher way, the way of divine wisdom, you have to go with God's thoughts, not yours. You have to go with God's ways, not yours. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, nope, because God says something different. And when you do that, it's pretty true, it's pretty obvious that when we live according to God's higher ways, the rest of the world is going to find us peculiar. Why do you live that way? Why do you keep insisting that that old boy stay with that old girl? It makes sense that when you get in a, t- you know, and you get in a frustration, you're constantly in tension with each other, just bail, just bail. And I know it makes sense. It even makes sense to me when I hear the thousandth story about what that guy and what that girl are going through. And it makes total sense to say to him, get out. But I'm saying to myself, that makes sense to me, but that's not how God said it. I wonder if God is telling us, if you think bailing's going to make it easier, I'm trying to help you avoid something even worse. Now, are you going to do it or not? I wonder if that's why he's doing it. Are we going to go with God's description or are we going to go with our druthers? That's why Christians always tell the truth. Even if it puts you in a difficult spot, tell the truth. God's demand for truth, and he is truth, 
is timeless and universal. So when you, when you know, if I tell the truth right here, if I tell the absolute truth, it's going to make me look horrible, and it's going to make them think poorly of me. But you tell it anyway. You go with God's way rather than yours. The world often interprets this wrong. Here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When they speak against you, you guys are, you guys are homophobic. You hate homosexual people. That's what everybody in the world automatically thinks of Christians. May they see your good deeds toward even homosexuals. May they see your good kindness. May they see your respect Even though you disagree with that lifestyle, you respect and you love. Why don't you shut them up by showing the wisdom of God? No, we love you enough not to endorse this, but we will never disrespect you. That's the wisdom of God. Or he says later on, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence all the ignorant talk of foolish men. You know what he's saying? By doing good, shut them up. That's God's way. That's the wisdom that comes from God. And Solomon is demonstrating that. And when he starts living that way, everybody marvels. We've never seen anybody think like this. And where did it come from? From God, because he asked him. And as we looked at last time, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So let's do the same thing. But keep in mind... That when you ask for it, you're then responsible for living it. When you ask for it, you need to live by it. And, and, and it's to lead other people to marvel at the God we serve because of the way you got your wisdom. So when James finishes that test, right? He says, uh, who's wise and understanding? Don't do it this way. But he says, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, if you're constantly going around with friction with people because of how smart you are, you know, if those of you people with like a 3.9 GPA and you think you're just a gift of God to intellectual brilliance, right, and it makes you haughty, you have just discounted yourself from divine wisdom and you have the devil's wisdom. I love saying that to people with a 4.0. That's not the wisdom that comes down from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder, every vile practice. You think you're so smart, no one can talk to you, and you're divisive with everybody. But here's what it should look like. The wisdom from above is pure. It's peaceable. We saw that with Solomon, that they had peace in Judah and Israel because of the wisdom of Solomon from God. Gentle, even with a prostitute and a baby. Open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what it looks like when you have wisdom from above. So let's be a people who do what James tells us to. Let's ask God for wisdom, knowing he'll give us that wisdom generously. And then when he gives it to us, let's actually live out of it. Let's trust that wisdom enough to even submit our own thoughts 
to the greater thoughts of the high God that we serve. And when we do, let's keep in mind that it's to draw people to God. This is to attract people to the God who is wise and discerning and blesses his people. Live with wisdom. Trust God's great wisdom. Submit to it and you will be wise and the world will marvel at the God we serve. I want us to be smarter than we are. I want us to be wise with the wisdom of God so that the world sees and marvels at the God that we marvel for the same reason that we marvel at him. And maybe they'll want to know all sorts of things about this God, like how much he loves us and what he's done in his son and what he's willing to do to claim the world for himself. This evening, if there's any spiritual need that you have to respond to God, to confess your sin and submit yourself to his greater wisdom, we stand ready to receive you and help you with that as we stand and as we sing together.